This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, December 7th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And today is an important date in American history. It was December 7th, 1941, about 81 years ago. Crazy to think about that the Empire of Japan launched a surprise attack on the U.S. naval bases in Hawaii. Now, the American bases were attacked by 353 Imperial Japanese aircrafts, and a total of 2,403 Americans were killed and over 1,100 wounded. And to some people today, this may sound like ancient history. 81 years ago is a while, but the military strike on Pearl Harbor that brought us into World War II uh, is, you know, wasn't that long ago. 81 is, you know, so think about how much the world has changed over that time. You probably have grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles that were alive during that time. And maybe even you were as well. Now, relationships between the U.S. and Japan obviously are, are very warm today. And, just, and they've been that way for decades now. And you can just see how how things can change. You know, no, nothing is static in this world. Uh, and that means your strategy has to be flexible, just like uh, foreign policy has to be flexible. Now, the stock market was closed, actually, on the day of the attack, because it was a Sunday. But December 8th, the Dow fell 3.5%. The broader stock index fared worse, but down about 4%. And stock, stock dropped another 10% by early 1942. But then began to climb higher throughout the war years as the economy picked up. We were producing a lot of things, right? Now, on a brighter thought, Christmas is only two and a half years away. Two years, excuse me, two and a half weeks away. And, you know, it might be tempting to pretend the market today is just like it was this time last year. But we know that the market dynamics are constantly changing. And that's what we're here to help you do. Get your portfolio properly balanced. And that means we have some work to do this hour. And you have work to do every day. You have the right mindset to make good investment decisions. And that's what we are to help you. We are here to help you with. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here on this radio show and podcast to help you make the most of your portfolio, your savings, your capital. And I look forward to this Invest Talk podcast because I love hearing your finance and investment questions and giving you some feedback, some answers that can help you make good decisions. Not just the caller, but these are answers that I'm sure the vast majority of you can take something away from and implement in your own decision-making. So the phone number is always 888-99-CHART, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can call, leave your message, or if you're listening during our live stream program, four to five Pacific time, 
you can give us a call. Same number, 888-99-CHART. Now, I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is in regards to small caps. I've been saying this for a little while, that small caps are better value in today's market than the large caps. Uh, but we're going to look at the numbers. What do the numbers say? Okay. We're also going to do a quick overview of what the housing market is looking like currently, as well as the 60-40 portfolio. That's the standard 60% equities, 40% bonds. And this year has been not kind to the standard 60-40 portfolio. So we're going to look at the numbers and what you can take away from that. And then lastly, how to train your brain to handle market uncertainty. There's always uncertainty and there's a lot of doomsdayers and uh, it can be easy to let that seep into your mind. But we're going to look at how to adjust your frame of mind in an environment where, yeah, there are changing dynamics both within the market as well as within the economies. Uh, so we're going to look at that. But also we have voice bank questions ready to play. One is on ARC Document Solutions, ARC, and then Tax Loss Harvesting. So we've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and I'm taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a quick look at the market today. After two pretty rough days in the market, today was kind of flattish. U.S. market was down 0.2%, 0.19, call it, and small cap down 0.37%. So it was a modest down day overall. Large cap value actually ended up a bit positive. You had interest rates down pretty decent. The 10-year closed today at 3.408%, down over 10 basis points. So that's a big move. Our high was back on October 21st, so six weeks ago, roughly. And that was a high of... 4.33. So we're almost down 100 basis points in the span of six weeks. And that is just the narrative shift of what's happening in you know, Fed land, they're planning to do, as well as the market starting to price in that recession. It's coming. Just a matter of how much we will, how much is the equity market already priced in? We'll see. Now, large cap growth definitely had the worst day today. Tesla down over 3%. Apple down a little over 1%. Let's see. Carnival Cruises down 4.4. see. What were the big losers today? Lionsgate Entertainment. That was down big. AMC <laughs> down big. Uh, the, the, let's see. Any big winners? Uh, State Street. That was a good day. Toll Brothers up 7% uh, on their earnings. Better than expected. So, that was kind of the market today, uh, a pause into pretty good support after a two-day pullback. All right. Now let's pivot over to our first listener question now. Hey, guys. I know you always say if you have a 401k with a company and you leave the company to roll that over into a Roth IRA. But my question is, there's a contribution limit of 6500 a year for 2023 for a Roth IRA. What happens in the instance when you have more than that in your Roth 401k at your company. Uh, I'm just wondering how that works rolling that over if the contribution limit is 6,500, but you have more. Thanks. I know we don't always say roll it into a Roth IRA because that is typically a taxable event. And you have to be comfortable with that 
that, that tax hit that you're going to take. What we do say is roll it into a traditional IRA uh, if it's not already in a Roth 401k. If it's in a traditional 401k, you roll that into a traditional IRA. If it's in a Roth 401k, you roll it into a Roth IRA. That's how that works. Now, you can take a traditional 401k, roll that into a Roth IRA, but once again, all of that amount is hit to your taxes for that year, income for that year, okay? Um, so that's that's something that you have to be uh, comfortable with, and there's no limit to that. You can You can convert as much as you want in a particular year from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, or from a traditional uh, 401k to a, to a Roth IRA. There's no limit to that, okay? That's, and that, that's not a contribution. That is a conversion. There's a difference. Conversion or contribution. There are limits to Roth contributions. That's the money that you put in each and every year versus your conversion. Um, so at conversion, you want to talk to your CPA. You want to make sure you're comfortable with the tax hit, et cetera. A contribution, you can you can convert $100,000 in a year and still make a Roth IRA contribution up to the limit. 6000 this year, 6500 next year, uh, plus a catch-up if you're over the age of 50, 1000 uh, et cetera. So those are the rules around that, and make sure you understand the difference between a conversion and a contribution. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give InvestTalk a call at 888-99-CHART. In today's environment, it can be difficult to evaluate and then adequately adjust for the hazards introduced by the various forces affecting the markets. So KPP Financial is preparing a special wealth webinar, Income Opportunities in a Rising Rate World. The webinar will be led by KPP Principal and InvestTalk host, Justin Klein. This free online wealth webinar will be presented live Thursday, December 15th, 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Serious investors know Building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. The InvestTalk listener line is open. Don't forget to call. InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the InvestTalk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each InvestTalk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Gino in San Jose looking at Dillard's. Yes. How are you doing there? Doing pretty well. You own Dillard's? Yeah, looking to um, buy it. I'm looking to buy it. I wanted to see what um, uh, what do you think about that one? Well, it's appreciated rapidly. It's low mm-hmm. in 2020 was around 23 bucks, something like that. And now we're at $358 per share. And that's because earnings went from $3 and let's call it $6 and change in 2019 to $44.82 this year. But earnings are 
expected to go down 40% next year. So it's in the retail space. And a lot of that price appreciation was because they were earning a ton of money during the pandemic. People are over, uh, overspending uh, and they were buying back a ton of stock. If you look just over the past three years, the shares outstanding gone from 24 million all the way down to 17 million. But so far this year, they've pretty much stopped their, their share buyback. So, uh, that worries me just a little bit. Um, and cash from operations are starting to come back down. Free cash flow uh, starting to reverse as well. Um, not dramatically, though. So the positive is it's only been minor so far, but as analysts are expecting, that should should come down uh, more significantly next year. So where does this level out at? If it levels out at $26 a share like it is expected to earn next year, I think it's uh, probably fair value. But if it goes back closer to the five or six dollars it was making pre-pandemic, then it's drastically overvalued. So uh, I I'm gonna say I I don't love it at these prices. I think you're you're getting you're you're paying too much for it uh, at this point uh, based on longer term earnings power. I just uh, there's not enough enough history for me to be confident that they're gonna still earn you know twenty five thirty forty dollars per share which is going to need to happen if they're going to maintain a $350 plus uh, price. So an interesting name. It does have good long-term uh, earnings power uh, and return on equity, return on assets, et cetera. But right now it's just drastically over earning from its history. And I just don't expect it to earn that much longer term. So uh, I interesting one to keep on my watch list to monitor if it can maintain these levels, but I don't expect it to. Okay, the call, Gino. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Jeffrey from Alabama, posts, posting as Forestry Guy 1970, says, I would like to get your analysis and opinion and thoughts on a good entry point for a 1.5% position in Nexa Resources. N E X A. Take a look at this. Looks like out of South Africa. Oh, no, Luxembourg, excuse me. Out of Luxembourg. Engaged in the large-scale, low-cost integration of zinc production. Ah, okay, zinc production. Global, presence in Brazil, Peru, the U.S., Switzerland, Japan, Argentina, South Korea, Colombia, and many other countries. So I like their diversity my problem here is just the longer-term profitability metrics are pretty meager. And they do have a good amount of debt. The technicals are poor. There continues to be in a downtrend. If I zoom out to a monthly chart, say it went public in 2017, it's been in a downtrend since. So I don't like the debt levels. I don't like the low level of profitability. I like that you're looking at a raw material producer, but this this doesn't hit check the boxes for me. So I'm passing on Nexa Resources. Now it's a fast moving Wednesday. The market is constantly changing. And that means you must have finance and investment questions to the need answered so you can stay up to date. And remember, you set the agenda. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART.
Holiday season is here. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are on duty, and they welcome your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point concerns this question. Is it time for you to consider small caps? And I've been saying this for a little while, that the best opportunities in the market right now are in the smaller names. And the relative valuation in small caps versus large caps has reached uh, the lowest levels in two decades. Now, the trailing 12-month P ratio of the Morningstar U.S. Small Cap Index, which is a collection of the smallest 7% of U.S. stocks, currently sits at about 12 and a half times, while large caps sit at 20.2 times. That's the largest gap since 2002. And basically it's saying small caps have already priced in what would expect to, what you expect to see in the middle of a recession. Now, small caps tend to generate a higher portion of their revenue within the U.S. compared to large caps. And so they tend to be less prone to stronger dollar. Uh, but that really hasn't been the case so far, at least in price uh, reaction. Now, the cheapest parts of the market or the small cap market are financial services, consumer defensive stocks, typically. Um, but if you look at the valuations in September... The small cap index reached 11.4, the lowest reading since 2009, and now it's at 12.6 because obviously there's been a bit of a rally. Um, but the longer term average for the small cap small cap index is about 18.7, whereas the U.S. large cap index that PE is about 20.2, long term average is 20.6. So large caps are supposed to trade at a premium because they're bigger. They typically have wider economic moats. They have more diverse revenue stream. Uh, it just there's a lot, a lot more to like typically about large cap companies versus small cap companies. But there's a reasonable spread, and that reasonable spread longer term is you know maybe a ten percent compared to you know the multiple that they're trading at compared to uh, large caps. But right now that discount is closer to forty percent. And that just doesn't make sense. So large caps are still in the process of pricing in a recession where small caps basically have already done so. And so far this year, large cap companies have fallen more than small caps. Large caps down about 18%, where small caps are off about 15.3. Now, historically, small caps tend to underperform before a recession hits. That was kind of last year, they underperformed. They start to outperform midway through a recession. So, you know, are we in a recession? I mean, recessions are always kind of nebulous. What it, when are we actually there? They really know, and you know, until you get behind, you know, in hindsight. But they've outperformed strongly coming out of a recession. And what's interesting is they're starting to outperform. You look at the IWM to the SPY. That's been outperforming basically since May. 
Now, recently you've had a bit of a pullback, but overall, it's something to continue to watch, to know where we are in the economic cycle. But mainly it's, okay, if you want to go bargain hunting, you want to focus on the smaller caps, but you want to smoke, focus on those with positive earnings, not the negative earning ones, with larger market caps, so the bigger of the small cap names, ones that have lower debt and higher profitability metrics like return on equity, return on assets, return on invested capital, etc. Positive cash flow. Those are the ones that you want to buy. But look, right, their financial metrics look a lot more like large caps, but they're still smaller cap names. So small cap value is really the place to be in this market. And it's important for you to realize that because I get so many people that they only focus on the names they know, that everybody knows. And that's what most beginners do. And unfortunately, that closes you off to only a certain subset of the market. And sometimes that's the better subset to, to be in. In 2021, it's a great time to be in large caps. 2020, great time to be in large caps. Not now. And so this is an example of how you need to be open to all asset classes and understanding the risks versus reward that are available there and knowing how to overweight the attractive parts of the market based on not just on valuation, but economic backdrop. So this is the time where you want to do a lot of research using a lot of screening tools, whether that's Finviz or uh, Morningstar or YCharts or whatever tool you have to use to find quality small caps. This is the time where you go bargain hunting. There's a lot of bargains out there. Just not in the names you typically know. Now, on the next Invest Talk, this story, looking at the lessons of the Nifty 50 phenomenon. The Nifty 50 refers to the 50 most popular large cap stock in the 60s and 70s. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-SHARK. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started.
For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, InvestTalk. Michael from Texas. Calling about ARC Document Solutions, ticker ARC, only looking at a 1% to 2% position in this penny stock. They've restructured their business over the past several years, focusing now mostly on digital printing and have had six straight quarters of earnings growth. I like the price to sales, price to book, enterprise value to EBITDA. And the company has also stated over the past earnings calls that they have enough cash to pay off their debts. I don't like the low return on equity or the return on investment, but I like the company's potential to continue their earnings growth, increasing sales and profit margins. Just curious on your thoughts on this company. Thank you for your time and all the knowledge that you give us listeners. All right. Appreciate the kind words and the call. And this is Arc Document Solutions. It's a global document solution provider. It includes managed printing services, offsite services, archive and informational management, special color printing, uh, etc. And it typically focuses on several industries, in, uh, architectural, engineering, and construction. And it's principally engaged in providing an on-site, on, an on-site service to install and complete document solution platform in its customers' offices and project sites. So, you know, in the service centers and customer stores so that you can print out plans for, you know, build-outs, things like that. And... It looks like they have been making headwinds and improving their business over the last uh, number of years, but it's not really showing up dramatically in their earnings. 2015, they made 35 cents a share, and then 28, then 15, then 19 cents, and then 15 cents a share in 2019. And now they're back up to 27 cents per share expected this year and 28 cents a share next year. So, you know, Positive, that's good. Consistently positive, I like that. But I don't see a stair step higher uh, in their business uh, dramatically. Uh, and if you look at their operating margins, for example, they're they're going higher, so that's good. But they're not higher than they were in 2015, 16. Now they're heading that direction, so I want to see that continue. You're right, they do have a minimum amount of debt. They can probably pay off that debt pretty easily. So I like their balance sheet. Their dividend yield, 6.6%, which sounds high, but I don't know if they, you know, I don't know if they're going to continue to pay that. Uh, let's see, shares outstanding. Are they buying back shares? Yeah, they've been buying back shares. I like that. I agree with you. The return on equity is pretty meager, 7.5%. Long-term average, about 4%. So that's my biggest gripe with it. Uh, the technicals are okay, right at the 200-day moving average. Longer term, it's, it's in an uptrend. I'll say that's that's a good thing. 
So uh, I like that it's a specialized company. It's small cap, so it is relatively cheap and low debt. So I like that. And it's consistently positive, even though their business hasn't shown some you know, robust break to the upside. Uh, I, I, I do like it. Do I love it? I don't know if I love it. Having it as a small position, uh, I wouldn't mind that. That was Arc Document Solutions. An interesting small cap name, only $127 million market cap. Now, I typically share my perspective segment on Mondays, however, with today being an important day in U.S. history. I thought it might be interesting to talk about World War II with Japan from the perspective of investors, investor realities in the Japanese stock market. Now, what happened to the Tokyo Stock Exchange when Japan lost the war? Well, it was actually closed on August 1st, 1945, during the last few days of World War II. After Japan signed their surrender on September 2nd, 1945, stock market activity was prohibited by order by General Douglas MacArthur in a U.S. military directive. Now, the Allied forces established their general headquarters in the building of the Tokyo Stock Exchange until 1948. Now it reopens on May of in May of 1949, so uh, about a year and a half later, and this contributed to the stabilization and growth of post-war Japan. Now after the war, things were different for Japanese investors. Stock ownership broadened, with 12% of the population owning securities, compared to about half that number before the passing of the 1948 Japanese security law. Now in the post-war decades, Tokyo Exchange surpassed its main rival, the Osaka Stock Exchange, and Tokyo and Osaka Stock Exchange merged in 2011 to form the Japan Exchange Group in 2013. Now, what are the seven largest stock markets in the world? We have the NYSE, of course. Second is the NASDAQ. Third is actually the Shanghai Stock Exchange in China. Fourth would be the European New Exchange Technology, or short for, uh, short is Euronext. Then the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the Tokyo Exchange is sixth, followed last or seventh by Shenzhen Stock Exchange out of China. All right, so little overview with this day being an interesting one for the U.S. and China. Now let's touch a bit on the housing market and get a, a quick a quick overview after such a, an interesting year that we've had and. Over the summer, the housing market entered a slump of sorts. I think it's a good way to describe it. Not a crash, but a slump. Mortgage rates climbed over 7% to a 20-year high in October and November. Existing home sales have dropped for nine straight months through October. That's the longest streak since the National Association of Realtors began tracking it in 1989. Now, demand tumbled, but supply is still relatively low. And prices are down generally, but still well above their pre-pandemic levels. Home prices were up 45% between January of 2020 and June of this year. And up so much that even Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell called the boom phase of the housing market a bubble. Now, various... Outlets are predicting different outcomes for the housing prices next year. 
Now, KPMG is looking at a 20% fall for prices next year. Goldman Sachs forecasting a 7.5% drop. But more biased outlets like the National Association of Realtors forecasting a 1.2% increase. And the Mortgage Bankers Association seeing a 0.7% increase next year. I think the last two are out to lunch and just shows you how you should never, ever go with or use the prognostication of a biased organization like the National Association of Realtors or the Mortgage Bankers Association as a, anything to go by. Okay, They're definitely not ones to listen to. Now, why is there low supply? Well, the surge in interest rates have pushed buyers and sellers out of the market. Buyers are priced out and they've pulled back. But on the uh, but almost 70% of households with mortgages have rates below 4%, which means they're rate locked and they're reluctant to trade in their low rate for a higher one. And so supply of homes for sale remains lower than normal for this time of year. And relatively low inventory is one reason that the current plunge in housing activity is different from 07. This is a slow slog lower as opposed to just inventory flooding the markets. Remember, markets are supply and demand. There's not that much supply. There's also lower demand. Now, home prices stopped increasing. Uh, so, so based on history, if you look back, home prices stopped increasing after the Fed increased interest rates in 19, 1979. But prices and sales didn't pick up again until 1984. That's why I say I think we're in the same type of environment, a three to four year correction. And we're in maybe a year in, six months, nine months. About two to three quarters in. Now, homeowners have more equity in their homes than they did before the last downturn, which means there's a lot of room for prices to go down before people, you know, feel like they want to just throw, you know, the, the, the jingle mail. Remember jingle mail where people just mailed in the keys to their home to the lender? They're not going to do that right now because they still have a ton of equity and tighter lending standards means that they're unlikely to default unless they lose their income dramatically but that's unlikely because there's not a lot of liar loans like there was last time now about eight percent of homes bought with mortgages in 2022 are now underwater as of september but many homeowners who bought in 2020 or earlier they are still they still have a lot more downside potentially. Even if prices fell 15%, they still wouldn't be underwater for the most part. Now, in the four weeks ending November 27th, the number of active listings on the market rose 12.9% from a year earlier. That sounds like a lot, 12.9%, but it's really not, especially consider how low inventory was a year ago. So it's not really up that much. And new listings of homes for sale in, this, in the same period fell 29% from a year earlier. Now, home builders are cutting their prices, but and 60% of are, are attracting buyers by paying lenders to reduce buyer, uh, mortgage rates. So they're paying for points on their mortgage. That's a big reason why the home builders aren't, being, aren't suffering nearly as bad. Now, what markets are 
seeing the worst of it? Well, the ones that had the strongest home price growth over the last couple of years. Las Vegas, Phoenix, Austin, Texas, Jacksonville, Florida, Sacramento, California. Those are the areas that are getting hurt the most. So that's a big little bit overview of where we are with the housing market right now. Now let's keep things moving and swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank at 888-99 chart. Hi, Duncan from New York. What I would like to do is do some tax loss harvesting. I have a couple of investing accounts. One of my investing accounts is actually made by one of you guys by just listening to you guys for the past year. I have made a pretty good gain in that investing account. I would like to kind of just shave off some energy stocks, such as like ExxonMobil. Also like to do is sell, let's say, Facebook and my losing growth stocks. But in the next 30 days, after that 30-day period, I would like to invest in EQNR, the Norway-based energy stock. I would like to know your two cents on that. So I guess it's a two-part question. Thank you very much, and looking forward to the answer. Bye. All right, this is Equinor. It's a Norway-based integrated oil and gas company. The government owns 67% of this company, and it produces 2.1 million barrels of oil equivalent per day. 52% of that is oil, and the rest is natural gas. And they also operate offshore wind, solar oil refineries, and natural gas processing, marketing, and trading. So Clearly, in this environment, especially with the European gas crisis, they're doing very well. It's supposed to make $7 a share this year on a $36 stock. That's pretty cheap. Earnings are expected to drop next year, but only about 8%. Pretty good. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Yields only 1.7%, but you know, I don't think that the geopolitical concerns in in Europe are are gone. I think that they're going to continue, and I don't think even if say Putin drops dead tomorrow. I think whoever replaces Putin is no, going to be no friendlier to the West than than Putin is. And even in that scenario, uh, countries like Germany and France, etc., are going to turn to other sources of energy close to home. And in countries that are friendlier. Norway is pretty friendly country to the to the uh, to Western Europe, and so I think they're going to continue to do well. Sell a lot of their natural gas and oil. Uh, it's easier than importing it from the U.S., so they're going to try to buy as much as they can. And so I am am certainly a fan of of Econor, uh, and thanks for the kind words. And yeah, I would tax loss harvest on those meta shares. Now, next up, we'll play another Invest Talk listener question, so hang on. In today's environment, it can be difficult to evaluate and then adequately adjust for the hazards introduced by the various forces affecting the markets. So KPP Financial is preparing a special wealth webinar, Income Opportunities in a Rising Rate World. The webinar will be led by KPP Principal and Invest Talk host, Justin Klein. This free online wealth webinar will be presented live Thursday, December 15th, 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Hello, would like to get your opinion on Signature Bank. The ticker symbol is S B 
B-N-Y. Thank you. All right. This is Signature Bank out of New York, the New York Commercial Bank, engaged with offering a wide range of business and personal banking products and services. And I think the simple answer is no. If you're going to buy a regional bank, you want it in a region that is going to do well in this new environment. The big office markets, especially New York, so expensive. Uh, I would imagine they've lent to a lot of uh, the, the, a lot of their loans are backed by commercial properties in New York City. I don't want to exposure to that. Not much anyway. So if you're looking for a regional bank, you want to be Midwest, South, parts of the West that are growing, etc. This is not the regional bank that I want to own. And look, the technicals. Technicals are horrendous. Relative strength is at nine. That's bad. So I'm moving on and passing. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin or Steve, thank you for what you guys do. I just had a question on the company Intel, I-N-T-C. I have been grabbing this falling knife for the whole year, and I don't know if this is like the best opportunity in my life or if I'm just on a pipe dream right now. If you can give me your insight, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we do think Intel has, it's cheap based on its long-term earning power, but it's really going to be predicated on, on two things. One, number one is to uh, it, regain their strength in their overall uh, tech stack and their ability to produce innovative chips and AMD is certainly caught up to them in a big way. Uh, and they really need to have a focus on innovation. They had a CEO that used to be the old CFO and for a tech company, that's not a good thing. You never want to see somebody who's just a finance person taking over the helm because uh, that's a recipe for lagging when it comes to innovation. Uh, but it has gotten cheap throughout this year. And they're going to build new chip fabs. Uh, and there's the, the chip uh, act that was recently passed. It's certainly going to help them uh, invest uh, domestically and, and keep up. But that's going to take some years. And there's still no guarantee that they're going to execute on it. So this is really a lot of execution risk. Is it a good risk versus reward at these prices? I do think it is. I do think that uh, they're still, it's not like their chips are bad. They're just more on par. Their, their, their advantage over the rest of the field has just shrunk dramatically. It doesn't mean that that advantage can't widen out again uh, if they innovate uh, well enough. Uh, but that's, that's still an it. Um, so it just depends on your risk tolerance level. Now, lastly, let's touch on 
the 60-40 portfolio. And this is the typical portfolio that is a mixture of stocks and bonds, 60% stocks, 40% uh, bonds. And historically, when stocks did well, bonds didn't do as well, but stocks did so well, you know, you still did well overall. And when stocks didn't do well, bonds held up better and offset some of those losses and uh, it was more muted. But this year, combination of 60-40 is on track to have its worst year since 1937. S&P down about 15 plus percent, including dividends. The 10-year U.S. Treasury lost 15% as well so far this year. And that means there's really no place to hide. That's what most people are feeling. Now, in 2008, previous bear markets, that wasn't the case. 2008, investors lost 60% of their money in stocks. Oh, excuse me. If they, if they had the 60-40 portfolio instead of 100% in stocks, their money outperformed the S&P by 23 percentage points. So still a rough year, but not a horrible year like it was in equities overall. Now in 1974, you had double-digit inflation, surging oil prices. The S&P declined 26% that year. But 10-year treasuries were up 4%. So you had a 60-40 portfolio. It was only down 14% for the year. Not great, but not a disaster. Uh, and but what this year is showing you is that things are shifting and you need to be prepared for the change in uh, market dynamics and that the standard 60-40 portfolio, uh, especially when it comes to treasury bonds, not a great place to be. If you want to buy in bonds, you want to be in things that are yielding more. You know, there's convexity to very, very low yielding bonds like uh, bonds like you saw with treasuries last year and the year before uh, and so the 60-40 portfolio can work you just have to reimagine what that equity allocation should be right harder assets value stocks etc and then on the bond side not treasuries not government bonds you want to be taking some sort of credit risk getting much better yields that can give you positive real returns now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening. 
and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 